We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. I said it before last week, there is no bye week for us. We are here for you recording on a Sunday morning. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata. Mike, how you doing? Tired. Um, it's my own fault. I, I knew I was doing this podcast at... No, it's my own fault. I knew I was doing this podcast at 10, but um, I played the new God of War until 4 in the morning. So that's on me. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. 4 in the morning? Yeah, oh, oh man, the game is so much like you know. You, you hear something is just like, hey, let's just I'll just go through the store and then I can save and then everything ends. Then I go through the door and some giant thing attacks me. It starts this whole quest line. I'm like, well, I can't go to bed now. <laughs> so this is someone who doesn't. I don't know a whole lot about video games. I know everybody loves them, and I feel so silly because I don't. I don't know a lot of the background on it. But is this the game that Jamar Chase is always playing? No, he's playing Call of Duty. Okay. Yeah. So- Call of Duty, more uh, multiplayer playing. My friends aren't staying up till 4 a.m. to play God of War with me. God of War is a, one, a single player game. Okay. It's just like a big story. Uh, Call of Duty, not much story. It's just like you and your friends uh, going and shooting down <laughs> other people. I just, again, I don't know a whole lot about it. Sounds bad out of context. It's a very, it's a, it's a it's very a normal game. game. Video game. And, and it's Kyler Murray's game, right? That's, that's his. Yeah. It seems like uh, all the NFL players seem to like it, except. I know on the in the in the Heights podcast with Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey, uh, Travis was basically like, "I suck at that game. I play sports games." Yeah, I know. I I don't know a whole lot about it. I know they're extremely popular, but I can't believe you stayed up till four in the morning. It's the perfect weekend for it because it is by, and you can get that Sunday nap in while the NFL games are playing in the background, and you don't have That's to right. pay a whole lot of attention. That's how it's going to go. It's pretty gloomy in Ohio right now, so I'm, I'm guessing it's it's kind of wintry where you're at, and uh, that's a perfect Sunday afternoon, so it's not too bad. Oh, yeah, and my fiance is a Steelers fan, so she'll have that boring game on, so I'll sleep during that. Well, there you go. There you go. And we'll talk about that later on in the week when the Bengals finally get back to practice on Wednesday. I am ready to talk about a real game. But for now, let's get Joe Burrow because I can't think of a better player to talk about during the bye week. And I know Bengals fans want to hear all about their quarterback. I told you earlier on the week, and I I hate like giving you these homework things during bye week, uh, but I know you're the perfect guy to break it down. When you go back to the first part of the season, what stands out for you when it comes to the best of Joe Burrow? Yeah, so I think you almost have to exclude the first two weeks. He wasn't himself. Even the third and fourth week, kind of whatever, but the, for the clips that, like when I'm going through like his best plays of the season, it's a lot of, I've got, you know, a clip from the Browns game, even though that didn't go that well. The Ravens game, just later season. Panthers, Falcons, you know, Saints. So a lot of the games that you think he played well, even though you didn't think he played well against the Ravens and Browns, he kind of played okay. Uh, still, they're able to pull some stuff that's just like, yeah, that's that's Joe Burrow and what we want to see in the second half of the year. So the first two, the first two plays are both against two high coverage. This one's one's against the Browns, and they just run four verts and the. They uh, bend the seams inside. Joe Burrow just great 
anticipation. And I wanted to talk about a play where he goes against a two high covers. This is Tampa two. He looks to his right, looks back left, throws it as the receiver is getting behind the linebacker and just an easy catch for that receiver. And um, like those a lot because he's hitting a shot against a two high coverage that some say it's not theoretically always there, but with the safeties backing up so far against the Bengals, it is there to hit between the safeties and linebackers. And I think that's something he's going to have to keep doing throughout the year is hitting that shot with anticipation. And I know he doesn't have the greatest arm strength, but it is a, it is a throw that he throws with such good anticipation. It doesn't matter that much. He also kind of rips it a little bit. <laughs> he, he does kind of try to throw it in there pretty hard. So uh, it's, it's a, Good throw. It's exciting. It's over the middle of the field. It's against two high coverages. You can do it against single high coverage too. It's just, there's a lot to like about it. When I think of where Joe really kind of picked up where he left off in 2021, I didn't think it was going to be this late in the season, but personally it felt like it was the game against the saints. Um, I had, I made that tweet and I never deleted it because it was the truth and how I felt at that moment. And Joe has had to carry this team a lot. So nothing really against Joe in the start of the season. And of course, coming off of the surgery, that was very unexpected during training camp and missing those valuable reps. I don't even put it towards preseason, but just overall with this offense was in the Saints game. It was after pretty much after the first drive, Joe looked back. And I don't know if it was the Louisiana magic or what, but they really looked on. And and it's it's kind of wild because you look at the start of the season and then you hit that point in the Browns game. And I wouldn't even put that on, on Joe fully because I felt kind of like the game plan got messed up after the beginning first couple drives. But is there anything that kind of has surprised you in a good way with Joe Burrow right now? Ooh, surprised. Um, off the top of my head, no, because he's doing a lot of stuff that I thought he would do coming into the year with like when he's at his best. So I know in the Panthers game, he is so weird seeing NFC South opponents that I feel like don't know that much about the Bengals versus the AFC North opponents who are tailoring their defense in that game, like in that game plan to be like, okay, we are stopping everything the Bengals like to do. But the Panthers came out in a, a single high coverage, very clear single high pre-snap. It didn't look like anybody could rotate and get to two high post-snap. So Burrow audibles and I like this one because I actually see the hand signal over to Boyd, just like something. I, I don't know what exactly it was, but he, he audible something with his hands to Boyd. Boyd runs a slot fade and Burrow just easy. He's one of the best slot back shoulder throwers. This wasn't a slot fade. Sorry. This was uh, just a, a, a back shoulder fade from the outside, which is cool. The, the surprising thing is Boyd is playing pretty well from the outside, but Boyd runs a fade, catches it back shoulder, just easy. I don't know. Burrow is one of the best back shoulder fade throwers in the league. Maybe the best. Just I feel like he makes it look so easy when he throws it. The guy isn't even looking yet. And then the receiver, all the receivers have good body control and are able to do this. Quickly turns around, catches the ball, falls down. Or, you know, in Jamar Chase's case, he'd turn around, catch it, and then turn back and score a touchdown. But that's not an easy throw. And I feel like we see it once a week where the opposing team tries one of those. Baker Mayfield tried one and it just falls out of bounds because the receiver and him weren't on the same connection or something. But Burrow 
and his receivers have the mind meld to know exactly when he's going to go over the top and when he's going to go back shoulder. Uh, there's There was a few times earlier in the year that they didn't, and that was kind of weird, but it's picked back up where I don't think he's missed one of those back shoulders in a couple weeks. So I think that's one of the things that's like, yeah, Burrow's back. And then also he threw that insane go ball to Jamar Chase down the right sideline where they shaded the safety anyway, even though it's single high. So it basically plays out like too high for that side. And he's still perfectly just in the bucket. Jamar Chase said best go ball Burrow has ever thrown him. So throwing the ball, it's all there and things I would think that going into the year, it's like, yeah, these are strengths of his. They're just, he's really hitting them right now. It's kind of wild to use this as an example, but I'm going to just because it is Steelers week and not to look too far ahead. But one of the biggest difference that I've always felt with Joe Burrow versus Andy Dalton, and I know we have a small sample size because last year was Joe Burrow's first whole season in the NFL. His rookie year got cut short, and then you get into year three, is when Andy was bad Andy, he was bad for the whole entire game. Like there was no looking back. You knew what you were going to have for four quarters off of that first drive. With Joe, it's different. He learns how to make those adjustments. And I'm using week one as an example. And I know everyone will be like, oh, my gosh, he had five turnovers. How could you use that as an example? But in the second half, they're without T. Higgins. Jamar Chase had like two extra touchdowns that didn't count. Mike Thomas drops the ball in the end zone. And Joe Burrow found those adjustments. And after giving the ball away five times, I think that's pretty incredible comeback. I know the outcome was a loss, and that's a really unfortunate loss to start week one, and it felt like 2L because it was a division opponent, and they're 0-3 in the division. But that's one of the things that I felt like we saw last year, and we're seeing again this year, of just the adjustments Joe makes after a mistake, and he really hasn't had a whole lot of turnover since. Yeah, it, he looks like somebody on uh, like season-long statistics who can be a little bit turnover-prone. L- less and less so now, but early on in the year, I would hear like pundits say something like, "Yeah, Burrow likes to turn the ball over. He's like not he's not careful with the football." But it's like five turnovers week one. <laughs> you know, that's really dragging it down. What if we didn't use week one? I mean, since week one, I can't think how many exactly how many turnovers he yes, has. Two. But is it just two? Yep. Yeah. Against so, division opponents. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But yeah, just two turnovers since week one. So over seven weeks, I think, two turnovers. That's really, really good. Uh, the other thing that is not like Andy Dalton, last thing I want to talk about with Burrow and highlights of this year is against the Saints. He had two insane, I don't know, magic escape the pocket type plays. There's the one where he drops back the running back and center don't pick up this cross dog. And then he rolls to his right, spins back to his left. Two defenders fall down. He comes up, makes another guy miss. Tyler Boyd has enough time that he gets leveled on the play and then he gets up and he catches the ball and runs for a first down. That's just, if you're a defense, I mean, I I can't imagine what you're saying. And then the other one also against the Saints was the touchdown that he ran in where he has pressure on his right side because all Collins doesn't pick him up and move him out. So he makes that guy miss. Then he runs into Alex Kappa, but then keeps his feet and runs forward for, I mean, nobody was anywhere near him. So awesome touchdowns, like 25 yards. So I think those two plays are also, but they're also just things. It's what we expect out of Burrow sometimes, even though it's not something that you can count on. It's just like, do you think this year Joe Burrow is going to have a play that makes you go, Oh my God, from his legs? Like, yeah, I do. 
Yeah, 100%. And and I think the biggest thing is going back to, uh, I, again, I, I talk about this on the podcast a lot, but it was the best sports year. And Cincinnati Ford, this team, it was one of the best seasons in a lot of people's sports lives, is that AFC Championship game when Joe Burrow uses his legs and he changes the game in the second half. I know the defense made adjustments, and it's pretty incredible to see what happened January 2nd versus Kansas City and then in the AFC Championship in the second half for both sides of the ball. But I think in general, I trust Joe Burrow. And early on in the season, I was like, oh, Joe, get rid of the ball, throw it away. But he's always trying to make plays. I mean, you could go back to the wild card playoff game, the Tyler Boyd touchdown where – there was some people questioning if Joe stepped out of bounds. There was a whistle that blew that nobody oh heard. It's still wild to think about, but that was another example of Joe Burrow making a play for a touchdown and just something that, you know, we really do like in Burrow. And he's, he's really made those adjustments since that week one first half game. Yeah, that play, insane, first of all. I think by next-gen stats, it was the closest a quarterback has ever come to being out of bounds when they throw the ball downfield for a touchdown. But also – I feel like that turned into this whole thing where it was like the Bengals lose if the officials do the right thing and don't let that play out. And it's like, what? The Bengals lose if the officials make a mistake and <laughs> call him out of bounds because one of them accidentally blew a whistle. It wasn't even – let me go back and listen. It's not like that whistle was like long and defined. No. It was It was very much just kind of like a – oh, crap. Um, and maybe some players stopped playing, but I thought it was a touchdown either way. It was yeah. high. It looked like – it was uh, Morig, their safety, was trying to cover Boyd. And it looked like he just got into not great position for making a play on the ball. And, I mean, you could argue that's a whistle, but I just think, like, that's probably a touchdown either way. And even if it's not, they did the right thing by letting it stand because the other way you're taking a touchdown off the board. And I think that was third down, I want to say. I want to say two. I think it was third down. Oh, man, we're months away from that now. I know. So I'm not 100% sure, but I think that was third down. So they'd be kicking a field goal over a bad whistle. It's like, no, the, the, the right call was not to blow it dead and do whatever. The right call is to let it stand because, you know, I didn't see a lot of guys stop playing. I think it would be more wrong to take that touchdown off the field. All right, we have plenty more to get to. We'll get to more Joe Burrow. I want to bring up the MVP talk and then just a little outlook for the second half of the season because I feel like bye week hits you right in the middle and um, some exciting football coming up at Paycor Stadium and on the road. We'll have more on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. The mailbag will be later this week, but one of the thoughts I had this morning when it's bye week, your team is off, it's stress-free football. What do you want to see the second half of the season for the Cincinnati Bengals besides wins, of course? So I'll start with Joe Goodberry, one of a friend of the show I would consider. He said, a balance between the run game and pass. This doesn't mean 50-50, but an offense that complements both the run and the pass and uses it efficiently I think we can all agree I mean even just after this past Panthers game if we see just a, a sample size of that run game even if Jamar chases out for the next game or the next two games and he really does come back for the Chiefs game which will be the four games missed I think that's what you want to see out of this offense and if both run effectively they would 
I would consider them one of the top offenses in the AFC because even some of the teams who sit six and three right now, they don't have a run game. They can't get a run game going either, but nobody's really paying full attention to that because they have six wins. They are leading their division right now. They have weapons when it comes to the wide receiver room. And, you know, it's a struggle for a lot of the top offenses right now. You think of Buffalo and everybody wanted them to trade for a running back to fix their running game, even though who knows if that actually works. Um, You think of Kansas City and their inability to run the ball. Every time I watch them, by the way, I I think that McKinnon's the best back, but the other guys are young. So they're like, please work. Please be good. (laughs) The run game doesn't matter too much if we have Mahomes, but one of you guys, please work. Um, But I think the Bengals run games right on par with them. And those teams probably aren't going to have a game as good as the Bengals had running the ball against the Panthers. I guess the chiefs did last year. I can't remember the game, but they ran for like 200 yards and a few touchdowns, but I can't remember the last time the bills have had a run game like that. And maybe they need it too with Josh Allen's elbow. I mean, that's kind of scary for one of the top teams. Ravens obviously have that run game, but their question for them is where can they pass the ball super efficiently. So I agree with this. I don't think it's like a, you need to take 50, 50 run pass into each game. It's more so like if this defense has a weakness up the middle, like I thought the Browns and they couldn't run the ball, but if you could run the ball on teams that, you know, they don't have good defensive tackles and linebackers. And then when teams don't have an all-star pass rush, you could throw the ball effectively against them. You just make yourself more unguardable. So that's what the the buck the buccaneers were in about what 2020 when they won the super bowl such a good run game to go with brady evans godwin gronk in the passing game and if you think of that super bowl they ran the ball they ran the heck out of the ball on the chiefs because they knew the chiefs couldn't stop it and that's just when mahomes is getting killed and then he goes three and out and then the bucks go on an eight minute drive back just handing the ball off to leonard fournette it's just so deflating and then you just limit the uh, opposing team's chances to start getting it right there was one response on here and i wanted to bring it up there's a couple of special teams responses and it's something we really didn't dive too much into over the last couple weeks but it it's a concern when i think of special teams the kevin huber situation and i think a couple quotes really were they stood out from last week and Darren Simmons talking about they have to do what's best for this team. Look, they're on a break right now. They had a very light practice to end last week. They get back to practice really on Wednesday. They'll get back in the building on Monday, off day Tuesday. Would you feel like this is the best time to make that move? Because one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of games, and and maybe there wasn't anybody paying attention to this before in past seasons, Drew Chrisman, is getting those pregame reps. He's out there practicing, getting that game day feel because that's extremely important. Do you see them making a move after the bye? Um, It's possible because I think you can change that out without it affecting too, too much. Like you don't need to do a whole crazy amount. It's just just a punter. (laughs) Uh, But he's also the holder. Yes. So McPherson has been worse than we expected, even if he's similar to the regular season last year. So I don't know if you want to make that change, although I guess that is with Huber holding. So maybe, you know, change the holder because who cares? It's not even kicking that well. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, I think, I think you have to, I just think Huber has one of these shanks every game and it hasn't come back to bite them too much because they haven't, 
they haven't had like a fourth quarter where they got to punt it with like four minutes left and that goes 10 yards or something like that. There's just like one in the first quarter or the second quarter and it doesn't have a huge effect on the game, but that means that can come at a, at a crucial moment and that's, what's really scary about it. So <clears throat> I feel like Crispin looked good enough as a holder in preseason. I think a lot of this might be how they felt about him at practice though. Is he missing any holds in practice? And I don't know if, any of us know this or maybe even Darren Simmons sees like he had the laces in, even though McPherson made it laces were in, or he couldn't find the laces on that one when it got snapped to him. Although I, I, that is a lot more the long snapper anymore because of this process is a whole crazy thing where the long snapper has to know exactly how many turns he's doing as he sends it back there. So it hits the holder with the laces on his fingers, but still it's just maybe he doesn't get the high one down as quick or the low one up. Huber is a very good holder, so I think I'd still make the change, but I I don't know how he looks as a holder in practice because to me that's the most important part. I know Huber's shank and punts, and that sucks, but if your field goal game is off, that to me is a bit more important for a team that's kicking field goals and extra points more often than they're punting. Well, over the last, I would say, month or so, when the concerns are there for Kevin Huber, I think the Bengals are getting a little bit of criticism because they're like, oh, you're just keeping Kevin Huber because you're familiar with him. He's been here for a long time. Well, Darren Simmons has been here for almost two decades, and this team isn't about – or this, this coaching staff isn't about putting you in there because you've been here for a really long time. I mean, you could look at a lot of rookies under Zach Taylor who are getting reps and starting – because they're better than some of the vets out there. So I don't agree with that portion of kind of the reaction the Bengals are getting from the coaching staff and some of their moves, but I agree with you. I think right now is the perfect time because the coaching staff has had time to think it over. They probably had internal conversations with Kevin Huber because he is a vet and, you know, he's done a lot of great things in Cincinnati, but I still feel like with your special teams having some problems right now and then putting Drew Chrisman out there. And again, it's pregame reps. Who knows if that's even anything to pay attention to right now, but it is something that he's been on the field for over the last few weeks. I would hope that this conversation with Huber goes better than the first time Zach Taylor had to do this with a long-term vet with Andy Dalton and benching him for Ryan Finley. Cause that seemed to go very poorly. Um, and maybe he's learned from that. He was a young he still is a young coach, but he was, a, it was his first year as a head coach, so it's tough to know how to do everything. And I just would hope that longtime vet Kevin Huber, uh, was he? Does he have the most games played as Bengal? I, I want to say he does. I think he just hit that mark. Yeah, I think so. So, got to treat him with respect, uh, but he's just not getting it done. See, I thought you were going to bring up the conversation with Carlos Dunlap because no, that- uh, Carlos <laughs> kind of forced himself into being the backup. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of wild to think about that. Remember the years, and it was Joe Burrow's rookie year when yeah, that was Taylor's second year. He's posting like this the whiteboard on this. That was just absolutely <laughs> wild to think about. Zach Taylor's been through been through a lot in his first couple years in Cincinnati. Um, I'm gonna go with KJ. And KJ, I don't know how much I'm agreeing with you here. Like I'm 50-50 because I'm not hammering the offensive line right now. But he says the season will be determined by how well the O-line performs. If it doesn't get significantly better, I don't see any more than two to three additional wins. For me personally, I feel like the offensive line has been. Oh, okay. I mean, I know the stats. You look at Joe Burrow can't take that many hits. I will always say that. That's last year was too many. Obviously, everybody knows what happened his rookie year. I don't want Joe Burrow to get hit, but I'm not down on the offensive line during the bye week right now. I mean, 
I think the offensive line is fine. And this is what you get out of a fine offensive line. You get good performances and bad performances. They're not bad because they can still dominate games like against Carolina, but they're not great because they still can get killed like against Cleveland or Pittsburgh or any of those games early, Dallas. So this is what a fine offensive line is. I feel like this is what the analytic mind of the, uh, oh, you just need, you know, a fine offensive line. It's like, well, they're kind of fine right now, maybe below average, but fine. It's not terrible. And uh, if you need significantly improved offensive line for more than two, three wins the rest of the year, I don't see that because this team was, they beat those teams last year with the worst offensive line. Um, to me, I, I don't think you need the significant improvement. I think they need to play at the level they're currently at, if not slightly better. You, they can't get worse. And that can happen with injuries and stuff. So I think he's, right in terms of if this offensive line gets worse it's gonna to be tough to win more than two or three more games but with the level they're currently at when i think of this team and they were good against to me they were good against the falcons they're good against the panthers they're good against the saints they're good against the ravens it's like they had a bad game against the browns but four out of the last five have been pretty good so if they can keep playing around that level i think it's fine they need to figure out because it does seem to be Every time they face a very good pass rusher, that guy is going to get a sack. You need to figure that out. I joked last year, I felt like they were a Riley Reef being healthy away from winning the Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you look what they were, who, who Joe had protecting him at the Super Bowl uh, compared to, to what they have right now. And I know they didn't win that game, but it was pretty close. Uh, that I, I I agree with your your stance on the offensive line right now. Of course, I always want it to be better. But um, Chris says the improvement of the young secondary, more playing time for Dak, stay healthy, healthy, healthy. Yes, definitely want to stay healthy. That's a given because they did have health on their side last year. The good news is I'm knocking on wood right now, but they should get good news for DJ Reader coming back. Jamar Chase, I think all eyes are on the next couple weeks of practice. If he's out there this week, I still don't see him going versus Pittsburgh. I really, really don't. I think that that's, that's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, all eyes are on that Tennessee game in, in less than a couple weeks. So when you think of the secondary, obviously without Cheeto, you're going to get Mike Hilton back. Um, the Dax Hill getting more reps, I get it. And the good news is he was – dressed for their light practice last week after leaving the game early versus the Panthers. What do you think about the secondary going forward against some pretty tough battles? want to see them be able to communicate and work together at a high level going into the more important, not more important, but the more difficult passing offenses that they're going to face the chiefs, the bills, those games uh, want to see them look like a good unit heading into that rather than looking like, Oh, that guy's, you know, botched assignment, missed assignment, mental error, or just completely um, bust in the coverage. I was trying to think of the word. <laughs> yeah. So uh, don't want to see too many busts in the coverage. Don't want to see all those things. But if a guy gets dunked on, whatever, if you can force those throws, I think that's a win. And the Dax thing's interesting. I almost feel like is that another shoulder labrum because it felt like his shoulder oh, came no. out of place. It's like he's got to play through it, and then after the season he'll get a surgery. It just feels like this team's had so many of those that I'm like, yeah, maybe that's another one. I don't know. And uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, and I'm trying to remember from last year's injuries. T and Logan Wilson had the same injury and played yeah. through it. Yeah, that you and it seemed like Wilson may have done that. Like, 
again with his shoulder, but we don't know. Yeah. Um, I had that one. That's why I think of it with my right shoulder. When I played pickup basketball, I tried to swap the ball down from somebody and uh, my hand ended up in between the ball and their body. And he kept going up for his layup and it just like, Oh, I just felt nope. like a giant pop and it came out of place. So I know what that one's like. Uh, and it is very much an injury that you don't really, after like the first week or two, you don't really feel it. It can just, it's just the shoulder can come out of place more easily. So that's the danger in it. And that's why common people should get the surgery right away, but you can play through it if you need to at the NFL level. It's absolutely wild to think. And I know we kind of throw this on social media a lot. And I felt like it was after the Jamar Chase injury that they're just built so different when it comes to their tolerance and just playing through this stuff. It's absolutely wild to me. And, and it's going to be crazy if Jamar Chase does come back, I would say even for the Titans game and finishes the season, at a Jamar Chase level to be playing through the injury that he's playing with because, again, not a doctor. I don't know his healing process, what that's like, and I'll never determine on what the outlook looks like for that. But hearing from a lot of people in the medical field who have commented on it and had their breakdown videos of just like, yeah, I mean, athletes can play through this stuff. I'm like, that's insane. That's absolutely, and I'm okay with it, but as long as your future is okay, that's where I'm okay with it. I don't want it to impact anything when it comes to the future of that player, you know, especially like yeah. a Jamar Chase who's 22 years old. Hip labrum tear for him. So we keep talking about these labrums, but to go with that hairline fracture. Uh, yeah, everything I've heard about that has also been like, he could play through that. He'll, he might have to get surgery after the year, but that's for the tear, not the bone, and everything should be okay for the future. So that may be. Sigh of relief. Just <laughs> there was the mild fear of just like hip injuries are weird, <laughs> but all the doctors are kind of saying like you should be fine. And I'm like, okay, okay, you should be fine. Yeah, no, that's stuff is that's wild, and uh, obviously, again, that's something that we're really going to be paying attention on as the they get back to practice over the next few weeks on the return of Jamar Chase. Plenty to get to, but we'll get to it on. It's always game day in Cincinnati next. is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. No bye week for us. We're recording for you. And we'll have a look ahead later in the week when it comes to the players returning to practice, a preview versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. But right now, that bye week hits right in the middle. Strong second half of the season coming up. And uh, Mike... Who's your second half breakout players right now? All right. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll just keep naming them until <laughs> we don't have time or something. Uh, the first one I think of is uh, it's hard for him to get worse. I feel like the season long stats will bear out an okay season, even if he does have a second half breakout type performance. But I kind of feel like Jonah Williams is going to be fine. I, I, hope so. I hope so too. Maybe that's hope and not realistic thought but he's just played worse than last year and that was unexpected i never I, I don't know if i thought of him becoming some elite left tackle but i did think of him as being a stable left tackle like a jake matthews type and he has not been that this year if he can get up around that level for the second half of the year i consider that a, a bit of a breakout considering how the first half of the year went if he could just get consistently pretty good play so that is the first guy to come to mind and I know he just gave up a sack and people are upset with him. And he gave up a sack the week before. <laughs> you know, he's up to nine on the year, according to PFF. Not great, but um, 
I think he'll get better. We'll see, though. Yeah, the thing that annoys me the most about the Jonah Williams play right now is early on in his career, we always just kind of said, if this guy can stay healthy, he's going to be a legit piece of the offensive line. And we didn't have a lot of comparisons on the line at that time. And you just needed Jonah Williams to stay healthy because the rest was pretty much a liability. But I agree with you. What scares me is the division play. The thing about your division opponents, they're very familiar with you. Um, and it's it's a struggle so far for Cincinnati to start the season when you think of the Pittsburgh game, the Browns game, the Baltimore game. But he's just not good against elite guys on the other side. And Miles Garrett owns him, unfortunately. And Miles Garrett isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So that kind of bothers me. And it's worrisome when I think of the future of Jonah Williams there. And can he keep up with the elite people on the other side? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, Miles Garrett thinks unfortunate, but Miles Garrett's going to beat anybody uh, unless you went out and signed a Tron Armstead or traded for Trent Williams or whatever, like one of the elite left tackles. Then he won't dominate that guy. But yeah, you need to not lose as bad. <laughs> you know, you need to die a little bit slower. You know, not maybe give up pressures, not sacks type thing. Because uh, not everybody's given up a bunch of sacks to Garrett. Mm-hmm. They get beat, but, you know, they take long enough that the quarterback's able to get the ball away. I know Burrow's a guy that holds on to the ball, but those sacks are quick. <laughs> um, he was really good against Baltimore, and I don't want to dismiss that his kneecap was floating around. That's wild to me that he came back in the game. <laughs> Same game, yeah, came back after it seemed like that might have been his season. So I don't want to discount, like, discredit that too much because that is what I think would be a serious injury, but it also just seems like his – I don't know if it's confidence or whatever, but it seems like it's not just his knee that's been affecting these sacks. It's like his hands, his upper body, letting guys get into his chest. So maybe that's like, I don't feel comfortable on this knee, so it's kind of affecting everything. But I want to see the upper body at least look good so that when I watch a sack, I'm like, oh, well, he just, you know, the knee isn't as strong as it was or something. It's hard to have that excuse when he just gets beat around the outside by a seventh round rookie. Yeah, I, I want to stay with the offensive line for breakout players. Um, I'll, I'll go to the other tackle, Lyle Collins. I think we saw a little bit of a splash of that in the Panthers game and just little bits and pieces of the first half of the season. We've talked about it plenty on this podcast. Uh, you know, missed a lot of training camp, didn't get those preseason reps. And again, I'm not really down on the preseason reps. It's more of the training camp reps with your team and getting those valuable practices in. And he didn't get that. He was battling an injury. And one of the things that I like what Cincinnati's done with him is he doesn't practice throughout the week. I mean, if he gets a limited practice on Thursday, they don't practice too hard on Fridays. Uh, He's out there, but sits out Wednesday as a vet rep. And I think that's extremely important in season because Lyell missed all of last week before before they played the Panthers due to an illness, an unfortunate illness. You never want to be sick, but he played on Sunday and he was ready to go. Didn't need those practice reps. So I think he's my breakout player because you want to see that in his first year in Cincinnati because we've talked about it before, the excitement of this free agent signing, what they were able to do when it comes to the pieces they added in free agency. And I still, I agree with you before in our past segment, it's an okay offensive line. I mean, if it wants to get better when you think of the tackle positions and Jonah and Lyle, which was surprising to me when it comes to the struggles of the offensive line. And if you would have told me before the season, those were the two pieces that would struggle the most. I'd been like, Oh, wow. That's a little surprising. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, maybe this bye week does, does good for Lyle going into the really 
back half of a um oh man I, it's it's still wild to think of the week by week opponents this team will have to face the rest of the season and i think if they find a way to get to 10 wins or it might take 11 when it comes to that wild card spot go ahead and crown joe burrow mvp of the season because <laughs> because you have to do it again on a one and i hate this part the toughest schedule in the nfl People said that about their schedule last year, and they proved to beat some of the best in the NFL when it really mattered, and they took the division. But I, I just, I, I guess it goes hand in hand with your offensive line. If your tackles are producing and they're protecting you, I have all the faith in the world that Joe Burrow is going to go light it up in the second half of the season. Yeah, lol. Just to me, comes down to how much healthier can the back get from this bye week? <laughs> because if it gets much healthier and he plays up to where he was in Dallas. Yeah, that's a huge breakout. He's the top five right tackle when he's fully healthy. He clearly hasn't been fully healthy. He's been kind of not good. Um, there's been some games, but mostly not great performance from him. I could see it, but that one scared me more of just in like, I have no idea how a back's going to react to getting that extra week of rest and all that. And he has the tough first week test. Although I guess Jonah gave up more sacks in that game. He faces T.J. Watt in the first week back, which I guess Jonah gave up three sacks to Alex Highsmith. So I can't discredit Highsmith, who I think is a good player. He's not T.J. Watt, and I need Jonah to not give up three sacks to that guy. But both the tackles get an early test uh, for the second half breakout. Maybe they both fail, and we both look stupid right away. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what happens. But I'm, hoping, but I'm hoping it's really good. And they're like, oh, wow, no sacks. The, the Bengals' luck is T.J. Watt coming back just in time for that second matchup. Uh, and, and, again, you want everyone to be healthy out there. And I know T.J. is active for the Saints game today, so he'll be back out there a week before uh, they'll face the Cincinnati Bengals. But, wow, yeah, that's going to be a huge test. And, you know, we'll, we'll get the preview predictions going on later this week. But, yeah, that kind of terrifies me just a little bit because it's a little deja vu of what we saw in week one, and everybody knows what T.J. Watt can do on that defense, and he can wreck a game, which he did. Early on. Yeah. Uh, uh, everybody on that Steelers defensive line felt like That's true. a good game. <laughs> like uh, the only guys I could think of that didn't was like, uh, I guess Alu Alu didn't have a good game, but that's their nose tackle. Hayward, they all had really good games. I'm like, uh, that's uh, maybe one of those guys could have a good game. Come on. <laughs> yeah, just, one, just one. Stay healthy. I want you to stay healthy on that defense, but uh, please. Please just have an average game. That would be uh, very helpful because this team needs a division win more than anything right now. But again, we'll look ahead later in the week. We'll flip, we'll flip to the we'll stay on the offensive side. Actually, when you think of breakout players, who else in a position group do you feel like is just going to have that breakout in the second Ooh, half? Joe Mixon, right? Uh, breakout compared to what he was in the first half. People wanted him benched. I think the second half of the year he's going to go. All right, uh, hot take, and I can get dunked on. Do it. I think I think he averages five yards a carry or more over the second half of the year. In a heartbeat, take it every day of the week. Uh, Make I mean, it he's at like three three right now, so I felt like it was a hot enough take that I'd have to preface it with that. But I feel like he's been good since the scheme changed. The game against Cleveland is stuck in everybody's mind, but he was over five yards a carry against. I believe he was over five yards against Baltimore, against um, New Orleans, and this past week he was at seven. So three games, he was over five yards of carry. The Falcons game, he was lower, but that's because they gave him a whole bunch of poundless in situations. And then the Cleveland game, he wasn't good. But one game out of five not being good since that scheme change is fine to me. And they face a little bit softer 
run defenses at times the second half of the year, I think. Trying to think, I'm I'll stop my head. Um, but like I, I don't think of Kansas City has a really tough run defense. So if they could, they might have to throw to keep up in that game. Either way, I think he'll be efficient the second half of the year. I think all the talks of him getting benched will quiet down and uh, he'll end the year at a decent average rate. But I think over the second half of the year, five yards to carry. I'm saying it. Okay, this is a dumb question. I know we've talked about Joe Mixon plenty in the first half of this podcast this season. Do you think the scheme change is going to be something that they can keep up with that defenses won't be able to adjust to and stop? And do you think a little bit of that confidence after the Panthers game is what's going to help Joe Mixon going forward? Yes and yes. Uh, So the scheme change, the thing that's so great about it for the offense is just that now they run everything well from the gun. They can run well from the gun. They can pass well from the gun. So it just makes them way more unpredictable compared to the first half of the year. We had all those conversations about every time they go under center, it's a pass or maybe it's a play action pass. They don't drop back under center. Uh, Defenses aren't respecting the play action. They're just hitting burrow or they're getting the mix in. They're flying downhill. Now they're not doing that because you can't fly downhill when burrows in the gun. Um, to me, I think this is going to – it works with the offensive line better because they, they work better trying to push guys and move vertically than they do running horizontally and trying to move guys that way. Even though I think Mixon's good on that wide zone stuff, he's good on the uh, gap power, all that stuff too. So I think it's tough for defenses to sell out and stop it when they don't know what's coming based off of the formation or where Burrow goes. I'll stay with offense and I'll pick mine. I have two players in mind, but the first one, I feel like his whole career, he's been underrated. So I'm not even going to use him. And the second person I mentioned, I hope it isn't because Jamar Chase isn't back. I hope Jamar Chase is back, but I hope this player still has a breakout year too. Uh, I was going to say Tyler Boyd, but I feel like he's been efficient enough when they finally started to use him after the first few weeks of this NFL season. He is what he is, but I'm not going to use Tyler Boyd because I feel like that's easy. Again, I want Jamar Chase back out there. I want this the wide receiver room to stay healthy. But I'm just going to, you know what? I'm just going to throw a curveball. Give me Stanley Morgan to come up and oh, yeah. four blocks. Give me Stanley Morgan touchdowns. I want them to deep, deep dive into the playbook and just change it all the way up. I mean, you play Kansas City December 4th at home. Everybody's like, they're going to stop Jamar Chase because they don't want to see Jamar Chase go all over that secondary. Oh, T. Higgins is healthy. You have him on the other side. Tyler Boyd's out there. You know what? Stanley Morgan for six. I'm just, I'm going to take his moments here and there as someone who's blocking, who makes a couple plays, and is a strong wide receiver in the wide receiver room going forward. I love this. I thought you were going Trent Taylor, but yeah, Stanley Morgan, if I can get... You know, if I get three highlight blocks on touchdowns, that's yep. a breakout to me. What a, what a guy. Um, do we want to quickly hit yes, a let's pair hit defense. of defensive players? We spoke so defense. much on the we offense. <laughs> They're the better unit so far. Um, okay. I'm going to go with another guy that I feel like Bengals fans, you know, don't love. But I think Jesse Bates' second half breakout. You're going to say that. Uh, yeah, he just had a great game. So that's on my mind. Um, he's going to have to play better because the corners are injured. So to me, Jesse Bates' second half breakout, I think he's going to earn that big contract, probably not in Cincinnati, but somewhere, and he'll earn it uh, by playing well the second half and hopefully through a playoff push. I will say this guy. And he's had his moments when he's healthy. But I know how fan bases feel about him. I feel like it's 
I feel like it's maybe 70-30 in Cincinnati when it comes to this guy. But I'm here for Eli Apple Redemption 2.0 again because we saw it a little bit in 2021. I wanted him so badly to get that pick six against Patrick Mahomes in the game because he was so close and it's wild what happened. It was um, in his hands. He was running the other way. I think he just had the vision of what, you know, <laughs> what, what celebration am I doing? <laughs> Twitter would have broke I know. if he would have had that. And he would have probably stayed on Twitter for 24 hours. Because that that dude, I, I know, again, I know how certain fan bases feel about him. And there are some in Cincinnati who feel a certain way. But, hey, I'm all about someone's career just staying at an all-time high on different teams. And this guy doing it again, doing enough like he did last year. And they need all the help in the secondary through this back half of the season. So I'm for Eli Apple having just a breakout second half. And he's had a few moments when healthy. Um, so I don't want to discredit what he's been able to do, but I'll, I'll go Eli. But all right, real quick, one more. Oh, okay. Um, second half, I will go. Uh, it's hard. Yeah, because it's hard to quantify what is the breakout. But a guy who hasn't had a ton of turnovers, I think that will change, Logan Wilson. Uh Big turnover machine last year. What's he? He has at least the one pick that I know of. But it felt like last year he was getting a pick every two weeks. So I think that'll start swinging back in his favor. He'll get a few more interceptions, be a bit of a game changer. And he's, to me, on film, he's better this year than he was last year, even though he's not getting all the interceptions. That's great news for the defense. If Logan Wilson is better than he was last year, I will take it. I'm making this really quick, but it's a fan favorite. I'm staying with the fans. I'm listening to them on social media. Dax Hill reps. Dax Hill is going to get some reps in a good way, in a good way, because Lou is a scientist. He's going to have crazy packages. Dax is going to have a breakout year in the second half of the season to get fans really excited for the Dax Hill hype going into next year when he is a starter for this team. But I'm also here for Jesse Bates in the second half because we're way too critical of him. And this is his last year in Cincinnati. I'll say it right now. I, I, I feel like it's going to be. So I'm all about both of those guys riding high to the second half of the season, which doesn't make sense that I'm saying both like kind of leaning towards Jesse, but also Dax Hill. But I'm here for it. Anything is possible with this defense and Lou in the second half of the season. And you need all the help you can get when you think about these quarterbacks that we're going to be seeing very, very, very soon. Yeah. Need all the help we can get against, um, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis. I mean, let's. <laughs> no, I know it gets much harder. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. We shouldn't say anything about the Pittsburgh Steelers until that game. Until that oh, game. yeah. Oh, yeah. We are not going to say me. there is nothing bad to say about the Pittsburgh Steelers right now until you can get They're a win. A fine cause... organization that beat the Bengals earlier this season. I can't say too much, even though I thought the Bengals would win that game. Yeah, that's um, I'm still bitter about it. And our producer, Nick, says, be afraid of Kenny Pickett at this moment. I'm afraid of anything, mostly T.J. White. But uh, it's the defense that scares me much more. Yep. 100 <laughs> uh, percent. But yeah, bye week edition. It's always game day in Cincinnati. Make sure you're following along. Bengals underscore stands at LNDS Patterson. We will be back Tuesday and Thursday to preview the week ahead. Cincinnati gets back from bye week and back into AFC North play. Thank you, as always, for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.